the two things I want, one is to either get thin or two is to stay the same and be happy. And when I really got to the root of like, why did I want these things? It was just because I want to be happy. And like, I felt like I was so, uh, like, I just felt like that weight of never feeling good enough and never, um, like always having in the back of your mind, like something's wrong with you. <laughs> like, you know, it's just exhausting. And I felt like there, were, that was like one of the first moments where I can remember thinking like, maybe I don't, like maybe there's a way that I can figure out a new way of being and not have to just constantly be hating myself and in this talk track of self-loathing all the time. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Katherine Yassi. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Roni. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I know we have so much to dig into, and I'm really excited that you had time to talk with me because you have done a bunch in your life, and you're sort of on a mission now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think one of your missions is to bring more self-love into the world. Yes. Yes. I've had yes. a lot of interest, but I feel like it, it's all come back to that core message that I'm trying mm-hmm. to really lead from right now. Yes. Yes. And the thing about it is, is that uh, from the outside, someone might think, well, uh, someone who's on a mission to help people with self-love might have always had it figured out. But of course, I think you've told me before that when you were growing up and even after your childhood, you really didn't like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's It was always the thing that deep down inside, I knew I needed to learn about and I always thought was important, but I was really almost ashamed of it, um, of like my interest in it, because I felt like Mm. I was someone who didn't deserve to love herself. Mm. So when you were little, when you were growing up, how did you see yourself? Um, I think I saw myself as someone who needed to change her, her body specifically. I remember being really young, like maybe second grade and kind of coming, having that moment of like, I'm different than other people and other peers in my class. And it was really my body that differentiated differentiated me from my classmates. And so from that point on, when I became aware of it, it then became, okay, how do I change this? Because as long as I can kind of control my body, then maybe I can eventually one day be normal and fit in and not have this thing be a problem. And do you know where you were? So it's kind of an interesting, it's like a nature nurture thing. And I don't know if there is one answer, but I'm wondering, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. When you were little, did you get any messages in in your family of origin or in maybe, you know, secondary, Mm. the secondary ring of relatives about body image? Yeah. So those The one main memory that comes to me of the sort of moment when I realized that my body was, quote, a problem was I was in second grade and I did a project for school and had to sort of fill out a bio about myself. And it was my height, my weight, where I was born, my family, my siblings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I remember showing that to my mom and her reaction was like, oh, that's how much you weigh. And... (laughs) I had just 
gone to the bathroom and stepped on the scale. I'm in second grade, so I have no idea mm, that mm-hmm. any of this really holds any weight <laughs> to pun intended, yeah. I guess, um, <laughs> outside of I'm just completing my school project and I was showing it to my mom to have her check it or right. something. And I remember I, that is like the moment that really sticks in my mind and it, I could kind of read it on her face, like her shock based on the number. And I I definitely think that, especially as I've gotten older and talking to my parents more, they both, I think, had their own struggles with their bodies. And, and um, I can definitely see it very clearly on, you know, like my mom's side. I remember my grandmother would talk about body stuff with me all the time. And I just feel like we were all so wrapped up in it. And I grew up in the 90s where I think the low fat fad, like snack mm. wells, 100 calorie packs, like yes. Weight Watchers. Um, that was when I was a kid. And at the same time as being a kid, I remember I was at Weight Watcher meetings and really just so immersed in this world of dieting and mm-hmm. um, that belief of if the smaller you are, the more valuable you are was really instilled in me. And, and obviously not in those terms, but <laughs> it was really that yeah. story around dieting of if you lose weight, your life is going to be great. You're going to have everything you want. You're going to be happy and successful and loved. And I just really, you know, that was what I knew from growing up. That was sure. what I was taught. Well, it comes from all over the place. And I, and I have been thinking about this question about what does skinny mean? Yeah. You know, what, what does it mean? And I think on the surface, some of the answers might not be surprising. I mean, I think like you already mentioned some of them, but it's, it's so interesting because it's this sort of thing a lot of people are chasing yeah. and some of them consciously and some of them maybe, you know, subconsciously. And yet do we stop and think like, what does it mean to be skinny? What do we think we're going to get? And I think you just said that, um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your experience of this, that you have to chase down the thin body because it means more, it's more valuable. Mm. Do you know, like, why? Why do you think that is? Yeah, um, I think because for so long people, and I think there's lots of reasons like you had mentioned, but I think for so long, especially for for women, um, this like thin ideal has been really sold to us as what we should all strive for. And I think the word strive is something that really resonated for me, especially when I started to learn more about, you know, body positivity and acceptance and really just hitting that point where it was like, I feel like I've just been striving to fit this mold that feels so out of reach. And then it starts to make you think like, well, okay, why am I doing this? And tracing that back, I think it's, it's partially, I think it's definitely inherited in our, in our families. Like I can definitely see that with my own family, especially again, like I said, I think my mom, you know, she just from what I remember about my interactions with like my grandmother and her and just, I can sort of see how this was all (laughs) passed Mm -hmm. on from one person to the other. And, and I think our culture really reinforces it. And so Mm -hmm. does things like our medical institutions and reading, you know, about how the BMI scale, for instance, was created by not even a doctor, by I think Mm. he was an astronomer (laughs) in Europe. Um, When you start to really look into these ideas that we have all 
been sold as gospel. You know, they, mm-hmm. it starts to kind of crumble. And I think that it's just something that we all are so subconsciously ingrained in this, this diet culture where it's normal for everyone, especially women, mm-hmm. to be on a diet and to talk about being on a diet. And and to talk about being less than satisfied with the current yeah. the current form of their body. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me too, when I was growing up, I kept all of that to myself. I think that I I can remember, you know, in high school and and even middle school being on diets but being so ashamed and feeling like that I was always doing them but I was afraid to talk about them with other people even though it was a accepted thing that other Mm. of my friends talked about. But because I was fat, it was, it almost had this extra layer of, of stigma over because I really was someone who didn't fit, who wasn't thin and had never Mm -hmm. been thin. And, um, it took me a while to start to even feel comfortable sort of talking about dieting Mm -hmm. and food because it was such a, it was a topic that really it was, it was very, you know, emotional for me to talk about because my sense of self-worth was really wrapped up in it. And I felt like a failure because I could never lose weight and and keep it off. And I kind of kept myself stuck in these shame cycles. I I call it of like Mm -hmm. trying a diet, going all in, eventually hitting that moment of, I can't do this anymore for, you know, whatever reason. And then, but then always coming back to it and trying to be hopeful again, that, maybe this will be the time. And maybe this will be the time. And I remember so many times throughout my life sort of having those moments and feeling really hopeful. But after maybe, maybe the 10th or 11th time that that had happened when I was 28, and you know, losing weight and not being happy, there was a point where I did end up losing weight successfully. And I was so unhappy. And I was like, this is there's something going on here. <laughs> mm, interesting. Do you, so you were aware that you had reached closer to a goal than ever you had before. Yeah. And yet you you could tell also at the same time, like, did you did you ever have relief at all from this kind of thinking? Honestly, not in, until I think the start of this year, I've really done a lot of work to unpack um, just my history with, with all of it. Because mm-hmm. I think that along the way, especially in my 20s, um, and I'm 31 now, but within my 20s, when I went to college, um, I started learning that there might be a world outside what I've always known in so many ways. <laughs> um, but especially around body image in that I, you know, I remember finding out about body positivity and just and just sort of collecting these little pieces of information um, yeah. that opened my eyes to say, hey, maybe I could be happy one day. And, and I think that, but, but I would keep coming back to what I knew, which was dieting because I, I could, I could trick myself into thinking that if I could control my food, if I can control my body, that that was really what would help fix all my perceived problems that I was having in my life. Right. And did you have, do you have siblings who had, were you the only person that you would identify as quote fat in your family? No. So my, I have, um, two sisters and a brother and a brother. And I think all of us at one point or another have, I honestly think it's a genetic thing <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point. And, um, it's interesting to even say that because I think for so long, I, 
I thought that like the problem was me and I kind of was searching for like, why am I like this? Like, do I have no willpower? Like what is wrong with me that I can't be thin? And my sister just told me she did 23andMe last year and did the health testing component of the test. And it mentions um, that she may have that gene that predisposes you to, to living in a larger body. And, and she asked mm-hmm. me if I wanted to do 23andMe with the health component. And I was like, I've known that for my whole life. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need a test to tell me that. And it was almost this moment though, where I felt so at peace with that because yeah. tracking mechanisms and numbers and trying to, trying to figure myself out. I think I was so in that world, just trying to find an answer that could take a lot of the blame off me as a person. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about in high school. I'm I'm curious to dig in a little bit here about how you navigated the world when you were feeling this way because it sounds like you kept it private in high yeah. school, this this um, search for weight loss. And that I don't know if your family, if your parents were supportive, if they pried. I don't know what the climate was like at home. Like I remember having a parent tell me at some point, you really shouldn't have another piece of that, whatever it was. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not as thin as blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I remember <laughs> that, you know, those things like last in yeah. your head for a long time. So I don't know if you had that on, on your family end. And I don't know if you ever had people around you who were positive about you as a person beyond that. Like, I'm so curious about, you mentioned it was sort of coming from you a lot, Mm -hmm. that you had this idea. Do you feel like the environment you were in had support for you? Or do you feel like you really were a pioneer in this territory in your, in your circle? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I mentioned, you know, I have, I'm the oldest of my three, of my two sisters and I, the three of us. And because we all were, bigger people growing up. And because my mom also was dieting with us and (laughs) there was definitely this environment of all of us going to weigh-ins and just, and just, I think naturally there's, there's comparison that comes up Mm. in that. And that is what I think was so hard about it is because I felt like at home, we, we all were sort of struggling with the same thing. And we were all ashamed of it. Like we were all taught to be so ashamed of it. And we could talk about it openly with each other because it was just this like known thing that all of us were bigger in living in this world where that wasn't acceptable. And Mm -hmm. it was just the constant, the constant conversation of, of, of every day. And so, um, in high, it sounds like it would have been just really difficult to get any perspective or fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I learned, you know, I, I learned so much about different diets and food and like Atkins coming out. Like, I feel like if you mm-hmm. ask me today, just, I feel like I have so much knowledge about <laughs> you can put anyone things. on a diet. It's so sad. It's like, that's what I really like spend like, so much quick, time doing. Quick. How many carbs am I allowed on this one? Right. You like know it off the top yeah, of your head. Yeah. And, um, I think, the thing that I did in my non-home life was like, I just completely threw myself into as many activities as I could to like keep myself busy. I think that was another part of like my childhood was by the time I got to high school and, and I think things started getting much realer. Cause like you start growing up and I feel like the, <laughs> your worldview starts to solidify of okay, I'm still, I'm still fat. This is still the world we live in. That's not like, like, how is this going to impact me? And, you know, just, just growing up is tough (laughs) and, you know, trying to find your way. And so I think that what I did, um, was definitely throw myself into different activities and 
really, I didn't have like a connection with myself and my body. I went to school. Um, I played field hockey for a couple of years. I did student council. I did drama club. Like I literally had a thing after school every single day to mm-hmm. keep me busy. And I feel like I, looking back, it's just what I did to try to pretend almost that I wasn't in this doomed. Like, I feel like I was just trying so hard to prove to everyone that I could be happy and successful and like have this good life, even though I was fat, because that was the, that was the narrative in my mind was like, you're, you're never, if things are never going to work out for you because of this. And so I, I believed that. And I think I tried, I kind of held both of like, I went out into the world with something to prove, but internally I was like very cruel to myself and, and also didn't, didn't really care to like build a relationship with myself because I thought that I was bad and that I was, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like that it was this weird kind of duality of like my outer world didn't match my inner world. And I think that this year has helped me integrate the pieces of that finally. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that knowing what you know now and the work you've done now, and I know we're going to talk about that in the second part of this interview, but do, is there anything you think that someone could have said to you back then that would have made you listen or change your behavior? Is there anything that would have helped you start to see things differently back then? I think just seeing more examples of, of, of fat people and fat women who were happy, healthy, successful, because they are out there. Um, I think that the representation when I was a kid would have helped enormously. And I think the message of you know, no matter what your body looks like, that that does not take away from who you are. I think that as well would have been would have been really helpful to hear because truly there were times where I thought that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be this really nice, good person. And that's what people are going to maybe that will kind of counterbalance my mm. my body and maybe that will help me get all these things in life that I want. And and I think just- Right, it sounds like you were apologizing. Like, yeah. it sounds like, is that accurate to say that everywhere you went or even with yourself, you always felt you had so much to make up for because of your body? Yes, and, and I think you also, when you grow up in a fat body, you are just become so hyper aware of your body. Um, and so in your mind, it's like- this mental gymnastics of, am I taking up too much space? Am I, am I going to fit here? Like truly it adds so much more thought process into your mind. And you know, how are people going to respond to me? Can I go clothes shopping at this store with my friends? Is anything going to fit me? Um, it was, it was brutal. And again, that was like all going on in my head. This was nothing that I was ever comfortable talking about. Not even in sort of a therapeutic environment. No, I started therapy when I was 27. So mm-hmm. um, right. it took me a long time to even figure out truly that my issues were not just food and, and body related. Mm-hmm. And and you said to me in our earlier conversation that you had this idea that maybe, quote, I don't have to hate myself forever. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering what started telling you there might be another way to live? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I mentioned, I feel like I, in college started to just, again, sort of pick my head up and, and learn about people 
living different lives. And, and again, people in fat bodies living great lives and, and like seeing that <laughs> and the internet, I think like Tumblr was real, really big back then in like 2009. <laughs> and, um, that started to really make me ponder, like, am I going to live the rest of my life? Like constantly on a diet or constantly feeling like I wish I could be smaller. And I remember there was this one break that I was home and I went to this meditation class um, and they had us basically weigh these like sort of two sides of the same coin. And I remember the thing I thought about in my meditation was the two things I want. One is to either get thin or two is, is to stay the same and be happy. And when I really got to the root of like, why did I want these things? It was just because I want to be happy. And like, I felt like I was so, uh, like, I just felt like that weight of never feeling good enough and never like always having in the back of your mind, like something's wrong with you. <laughs> like, it's just exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I felt like mm-hmm. there were, that was like one of the first moments where I can remember thinking like, maybe I don't like, maybe there's a way that I can figure out a new way of being and not have to just constantly be hating myself and in this talk track of self-loathing all the time and try and that, you know, cause I think even when I wasn't focused on a diet in the back of my head, I always thought, well, when I do finally diet <laughs> and when I do mm-hmm. get thin, then I'll get a boyfriend and then I'll get that job. And then I'll, and then I'll go on this trip and then I'll be, pose for photos. Like, then you'll be the person you're supposed to exactly. be. Like, exactly. Like then your life will begin or, and, and what a breakthrough moment. It sounds like that was a break. I mean, it was a small moment. It sounds yeah. like it was just the beginning to let some space in there, but that's like a breakthrough for someone like you at that age to feel, wait a minute, yeah, maybe the way I'm thinking or approaching this is not exactly the way I have to. Yep. And it also really solidified that like, there's other possibilities out there. Cause I think we can mm-hmm. get so ingrained in our thinking of that, this one way, and especially these things that have been taught to us and we've kind of grown up with it. It feels like that's the only thing. That's the only option for you. Right. And everyone in my life, you know, reinforced that with me, like doctors, like it just, I feel like everywhere sure. that was the message I was getting. And so it, it took effort to find those other paths, but they're out there. And so that's, that was a huge moment of like, if at the end of the day, I just want to feel normal and happy and like good about <laughs> myself. Like, like right. I don't need to be doing this forever. I could, maybe there's another way I could get to that end goal that I, that mm-hmm. I have in my mind. And so that started this sort of change. And then it sounds like you went to therapy a couple of years after that. Yeah. And and, and, and so in sort of a condensed, you know, montage, movie montage moment, <laughs> Catherine, like how did you, how did all this start to kind of like just get more concentrated until you did this, this really big breakthrough? And I know it's, yeah. it's not like done forever <laughs> that you always have to, as people, we always have to keep working. But when do you feel like you really started living this, this new reality? Yeah. So when I went to therapy, again, it was, it was brought on because I had just gone on the keto diet and completely eliminated carbs from my life. And again, I had lost a substantial amount of weight, like 50 pounds. And I was like, didn't really see the difference in myself and still felt unhappy. And definitely my eating patterns were you know, looking back on it now, I was having dreams about eating bread and waking up panicked. Like it was just very unhealthy and Mm -hmm. disordered. But 
at that point when I really started to unpack a lot of my past and, and, and starting to learn how to become more self-compassionate to myself, that was a big thing I worked on in therapy that helped me be between the period of like when I really gave up dieting, um, because I, I still struggled for a few years with going back to cutting carbs and cutting these food groups Mm -hmm. because it had worked for me. And I, I struggled definitely for a few years, getting myself out of that cycle and really coming into this world of no matter what my body looks like, I still am worthy of everything that I want. And that the best thing I can do for myself is just accept myself for who I am, knowing that my body is always going to change. Like we do not have our bodies are meant to change biologically. They get older, they, you know, things change and move and that's normal. So at a certain point, and again, I think this year, especially I've come such a long way in being able to recognize when those thoughts come in my mind, because they still do of maybe next week you can go to the grocery store and and buy all these things that are going to be, you know, low carb and, and, and start again. And, in, and, yeah. and, and I think, because I developed that practice of being more compassionate to myself and really questioning, why am I thinking this right now? What just happened that mm-hmm. is pushing me back into that same cycle? And learning how to be more aware of it is, is I think, what has really helped me. But it's been a process for sure. It's, it, has, mm-hmm. it was not an overnight switch because, again, it was something I repeated many, many, many times <laughs> throughout my life. And I was going to ask that too. And it sounds like my question was going to be, what do you have to do to keep this practice or this, this way of living active? And it sounds like, and tell me if this is right or wrong, that it really starts with Mm self-compassion. Yeah. I think that the, the self-compassion piece is, is huge because that is what teaches you to start to notice your, your inner talk track and slowly change what you would normally say to yourself into something more kind and forgiving. And again, that process takes a while too. If you've been mean to yourself your whole life and you have had really negative thoughts and because that becomes ingrained. But once you start to really notice, and I think the part when I said to you on our pre-call of, I'm just sick of hating. Like I, like maybe I don't have to hate myself because you just hear that in your head and you get sick of it after a while. I think like when you start to notice it, when you start to notice it's impacting your quality of life, I think that's the point where you either can continue being, being mean to yourself and not, not change anything, or you can take that step to kind of slow down more and really think about why am I saying this? Would I, would I speak to my friend this way? Would I speak to my sister this way, if she came to me with the same thing? And and why am I so quick to judge myself and to put myself down? And that's not easy and fun to do, but it's part of the process. Can you talk a little bit about fat acceptance, the body positivity movement, and a little bit about the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have really in the last, I think, 10 years. It's been awesome that I think every time I've kind of dipped my toe into the world of body positivity, there's always another layer to peel back. And this year, especially, I think there's been a lot of, there's been a lot more in society that makes me hopeful about the direction we're going in and that we have people like Christy Harrison and her podcast and her book 
talking about diet culture, you know, naming it and explaining the history behind it and how how we've gotten to where we are. And I think with the fat acceptance movement, it's really this political movement. I don't know if I yet consider myself like a fat activist because I'm still figuring out in my own mind, like my own journey and my, my own. Um, you don't think that you can give yourself that title? I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I still sometimes struggle with calling myself fat. And I'm, mm. I'm really working on that because it's, it's something that I, it's just a word. And I, I, I want to reclaim it for myself that it doesn't mean anything to me. But I, there's times that it still does bother me. And I, and I think that there's other activists out there who are way more advanced, I guess, in their so, so you feel like a baby fat activist right now? Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd also say that um, body positivity was founded by fat black queer women, and so when you really start to look into it, the whole movement is really about bringing and centering the most marginalized people and bodies. You know, ableism and and disability. It really brings all these things into the conversation, which is what I, what I feel like when I'm saying I'm a baby <laughs> activist, I guess I'm still learning about all of these, I guess, nuances and trying to educate myself so that I can speak on it in a way that's inclusive of, you know, the broader community and the broader message is really about liberating everyone so that we all can live in a world where we are, we're not trapped by body shame and it's not causing harm to other people who live in, like, I think there's a, one thing I learned this year is that there's a scale of, you know, in the fat community, like there's small fats and mid fats and infinite fats. And if you look into it, it's, it's all based around size and knowing that I'm a small fat person, I hold privilege over someone who is, you know, a five X, six X in size and, and really trying to place myself in that world is I think a lot of the work that I'm doing right now. Mm. And, um, and what's the, what's the thinking in your opinion about people with thin privilege doing fat activism and body positivity? I think that doing work in body positivity is great. As long as you are uplifting and amplifying the voices of the people who started the movement and not just turning it into people with thin privilege can love themselves because like, frankly, we live in that world where that's possible and that's normalized. And it's not really as radical as what body acceptance and fat acceptance is really about, which is about anyone, no matter your size, color, ability, anything like that. It's having that radical acceptance and having that inclusivity and, and freedom for people to be who they are and not feel like that they don't fit in or that they're really, you know, there's lots of stigma. There's lots of medical stigma aside from social stigma. This is real. And people really do experience this. I've experienced things as well that are really not fun. And, and people who are, I thin. think I know what you're talking about. And I wonder, can you, I think I'm right where you are when you're talking about medical stigma. Can you just give an anecdote or not? It doesn't have to be about yeah. you, but just so people understand. Yeah. So for example, with the medical fat phobia and, and stigma, you know, we still train doctors around BMI. And I think so many doctors use that tool and look at that before they actually look at you as a person and look deeper into what's going on with what you come in for. So it's common that a fat person will go to their doctor and say, Hey, I have 
back pain or I have this issue. And then they'll look at your chart and see that your BMI is in a non quote normal category and instantly just say, Hey, you need to lose weight. That's what's causing this without running any tests, without doing any further discovery work. And that has caused people to have illnesses go undiagnosed. It causes a lot of shame. I remember going to the doctor as a kid and always being so nervous about them talking to me about my weight. And it, to a point where when I was an adult, I hate, I still hate going to the doctor. It gives me so much anxiety because it just brings up all those feelings of, I don't fit into this box. What are they going to say to me? And it, it really like people not going to the doctor again, also contributes to illnesses not going diagnosed. And it really creates issues when fat people need care and they feel like the only thing they're going to be judged on is their size. And again, this is doubled and, and it's, it's a much different experience if you're also fat and black or fat and queer or, you know, whatever your identities are, it's as a white fat woman, that's really being fat has been the only thing I've had to really struggle with, but there's others out there who struggle with much more and, and are, they feel that in that setting in a much deeper way. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've said that you don't feel like you're an expert yet and that you're still learning, but what would you tell someone who's struggling with embracing body positivity or body acceptance now? What would you, what do you want people to know? Um, I would want them to know that they're not alone and that it takes time to to learn how to have a new relationship with your body and with yourself. Um, This year, even when I started the podcast, there were so many thoughts in my mind around going back on a diet. And that's, I think, part of it is acknowledging that this is going to take time and you need to just be prepared for that. And, And it's not expected that you're going to learn about all these concepts. You're going to see these beautiful fat people on the internet and say, wow, that's, I can, you know, wake up tomorrow and start living my life. Like none of this has ever been a thing. Cause it's, it's not <laughs> true. <laughs> um, and so if you're, if you're struggling with it and if you've seen people who, who seem like they have it all together and they've, they've learned and have figured it out, I can guarantee those people still have days that they feel that pressure or that judgment And so it's, I guess, just encouragement to keep going and that it gets better. The longer you can practice these skills, the easier it becomes to notice when it's the outside pressure versus like your actual thoughts about something. Mm -hmm. Does your family behave differently around you now? Um, I think there's times where I have... I've had to set different boundaries with my family around diet talk, to be honest. I think that would be the biggest change is that I have tried to bring that up with with my parents if they talk about dieting or eating, you know, for example, like labeling food as bad or like, oh, I had a bad eating day or whatever. Like I at this point that kind of it brings things up for me. So I'm working on, you know voicing that and and sharing with them what I know about all the history with dieting and everything. And and I think that they don't necessarily treat me any different, but it's more, I think I'm different in that now I'm starting to notice like when they say something that bothers me and learning how to set new boundaries around what I'm comfortable with hearing versus like what is going to 
potentially put me back into that kind of thinking or, you know, I think I just noticed that it's uncomfortable for me more than anything. Yeah. I know this has been a strange year because, and I do want to, before we finish, get back to how this year has been so helpful to you, but do you find that your siblings have followed in your footsteps at all? Or is anyone more on the same page as you? Or are you the, like I said before, the pioneer in your family? Yeah. I think with my sisters, both of them at this point are are definitely more in the train of thought that I am around acceptance and self-love. One of my sisters, my youngest sister, she lost over a hundred pounds and she has been, you know, I think on her own journey, we've all been on our own journeys, but I know in this year, especially we've really connected over, over these concepts. And I think for the most part, we are all now on the same page of moving away from that diet mentality into more of that acceptance and self-love path. That must be a bit of a relief. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's nice to know that they know, and they know me and they know my history and what it's been like. So it's nice. And this year, I know you alluded to it several times, just that this year has been really helpful for you. What is it about this year that has, you know, coalesced in such a way that's made this new direction better for you or, or more Mm. present? So I think just being home so much and I was able to really focus so much in therapy. And for the past couple of years, for the past year specifically, I've had the idea in the back of my mind to start a podcast about self-love. And I was very afraid to talk about it. And this year, for whatever reason, it was just one of those moments where through therapy, it became something I could not hold in any longer. And I think part of that is so many outside distractions were removed from my life. I was laid off from my job and I, you know, was home and we couldn't go out anywhere and and everything was happening. And I feel like um, just being with my own energy and being by myself, doing a lot of reflection and introspection helped me to really say, okay, you've been thinking about this for a year this is your story. This is what your life has been centered around. You, it's your time to talk about it. Helps propel me to take that leap. And it's been great to finally feel like I can like be myself and have people hear my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so let's talk about that. So can you help direct listeners to your podcast and to wherever we can find you link wise and social media wise? Yeah. So my podcast is called It's Okay to Love Yourself and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So it's a podcast about stories of self-love and I interview different people to talk to them about their experiences and their journeys because I feel like learning from other people and especially learning about their stories has been the most helpful for me in my path of Again, finding those examples and and seeing more representation of others has been huge. And I also talk a lot about sort of what I'm currently thinking about or or working through on the Mm -hmm. podcast as well. And you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is at KG Yazzie. And I'm also doing coaching with leaders, primarily women in tech around bringing more self-love and really developing a relationship with yourself in your leadership development and bringing that into your leadership style and really integrating yourself into how you lead people. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a lot of different avenues, a lot of different routes you're taking to to self-love. And it's kind of amazing considering where you started. Yeah. It's pretty neat. And I love hearing about your story. And I feel like I know that you're still searching and you still feel like you're new at this, but I feel like you have such a good handle on it, especially because so much of this work is about Mm self-reflection. And I feel like you have so much of that. Thank you. That's definitely, uh, self-reflection has been a big theme this year. So (laughs) I appreciate you saying that. I've done a lot of it. (laughs) Right. If we're going to all be home by ourselves, we may as well self-reflect. Yeah, Um, what else to do? (laughs) Catherine, thank you so much for sharing some of your life with me today and for just, you know, shining a light on the way that you found this path and all the work that you're doing. I'm so happy we met and that we were able to have the conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rooney. It was such a pleasure to speak with you and I'm grateful for you reaching out and setting this Mm -hmm. up. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening. 